All right, good morning. This morning we're going to be all over the place. I promised you a Christmassy thing, and here we go. Topical, not my strong suit at all. But as I was getting ready for uh, tomorrow night's service, Christmas Eve service at 8 o'clock, just throwing that out there, candlelight, um, I noticed something about uh, the ministry that took place even before Jesus was born in the process of him being born. And so I want to go over that this morning. That's where we're going to focus on the ministry that the father had by um, using his son's birth to minister to so many different people. Um, it's really interesting. For me, it was. Um, when, when we're born, we're raised um, instantly by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our first parents that's where we first get our idea of what it means to live in this world. It's a fight. It's a struggle. Some of us grew up in Christian homes, but there was still a lot of the world, a lot of the flesh, and a lot of the devil um, attacking and raising us and getting us to think differently. And so um, we had a heart and a mind set on that. Jesus' birth, his advent, his coming, was intended to then give us a new heart and a new mind. And that's important for all of us to remember, whether you grew up in a Christian household or not, you have to get that new heart and that new mind because the old heart and the old mind are geared differently and they think differently. It, it can't be rearranged. It can't be rebooted. It has to be brand new. You have to have a new one. And so that's what Christ came to do is to give us a new father, a new teacher, his word, Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit, not the world and the flesh and the devil, doing things differently. And so as you look at the ministry of Jesus being born, um, his birth and the, and the events that surrounded it, it was all contrary to what the world would do. And that was the process of giving us a new heart and a new mind, just by looking at that birth alone. I mean, even before Jesus took his first breath on this earth, he was already ministering to so many people. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 it says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. That was a promise from him. He knew we were going to have a sin condition. He knew we were going to have a difficult time, a problem with the way we were born and the way this world was. It was really a hopeless situation for all of us. And he knew that. And so he sent hope in his son, Jesus. And that is the process. And that is what he does. He gives us a new heart and a new mind. The first thing I want to focus on is Jesus's birth. And even before he was born, he showed us that he was going to give forgiveness to all. Not just some, not just a few, but forgiveness was available for all. And we see that in the genealogy. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That was a prophecy given that was fulfilled by Jesus, but that root of Jesse shows us the lineage, and the lineage is interesting. We've gone over Rahab the harlot, and we've talked about the Moabitess, Ruth, and those are the obvious ones, but let's go to the normal ones even. We start off with Abraham, the father of faith. 
who happened to offer his wife up to a harem. You know, think about that. Imagine that guy uh, applying for a job in children's ministry, you know, with that kind of reputation. His son, Isaac, is the next one in line. This is the genealogy of this Jesse. Isaac is next. He's the promised child, the promised one. He's the one that went on top of Mount Moriah and showed that beautiful picture of the son carrying the wood on his back and his father with the instrument of wrath going up the hill. What a beautiful picture in Genesis 22 of Isaac and that story of how he got his wife. Wow, you know. But he followed in his dad's footsteps and offered his wife up to a harem. These are strange, interesting heroes that we have, you know. The next one would be Judah, or Jacob, excuse me, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob was the father of the chosen nation. Twelve beautiful sons given to him by two beautiful women. Mm, whoops. <laughs> mixed marriage, you know, a mixed family there. And then known throughout his life as the deceiver. But he's the one that God picked. This is the lineage of Jesus. This isn't just Rahab. It's not just, you know, the harlot and the Moabitess. It's all of them. The next one's Judah, the tribe of Judah, the greatest tribe, number four in the line, but the greatest, the biggest tribe, the lion, you know, that was the next one down. But he sold his brother into slavery. He was into human trafficking. We don't think about that. That's a big thing today, human trafficking, human trafficking. He was arrested for human trafficking? And you put him in charge of the children's ministry, you know, or it just doesn't make sense to us. These people were just people. Every one of them needed a savior. Every one of them needed someone to minister to. And as we go through the lineage and we pick on those two women, we got to think of all these folks. Every single one of these people had a sin problem that none of them could take care of of their, of their own. The next one's David, a man after God's own heart gathered all the gear and everything so that he could, you know, give it to his son to build the temple of God and get out of that tent finally, you know? An adulterer and a murderer. This is David, the little kid with the sling and, you know, every one of them. So our first ministry that we see God doing is just by picking the lineage of Mary, choosing Mary of all people, her line wasn't that great, but there wasn't a better line. No one was better. When you think about these, just these five that I've mentioned, you don't look so bad, do you? You haven't killed anybody. Well, maybe you have, but you didn't tell me about it. But you haven't killed anybody. You didn't sell anybody into slavery, especially an, a relative, you know? It's amazing. Of course, that's not the comparison, but it does let me know that no matter what sin that I conjure up into my mind or remember, nope, Christ died for that too. He died for all these people. And every one of these folks is in the hall of faith. Every one of these people is saved. Every one of these people is in heaven. It's encouraging to us. It's the first ministry, forgiveness for everybody. The second thing that I noticed was that his announcement, um, when Jesus was going to be born or was born, finally his announcement the prophecy was Ezekiel 34, 15. He says, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. He's, he's going to be a shepherd. That's one of the lowliest positions, one of the lowliest jobs you could have. And we've talked about that many Christmases. We've talked about the lowliness of the shepherd. 
try to liken him to somebody's job today, and you hate to do that because you don't want people who are sitting there going, great, you think my job's lowly, you know? But there are. There are things that, there are things that people do that you might not do. Maybe you would. But there's definitely things that people do that the president wouldn't do, or a congressman wouldn't do, or a king wouldn't do. They're not the people that get invited to the ball, to the gala, to the fundraiser, you know? These would be the shepherds back then. You didn't find out who's who by reading, you know, Shepherds Weekly. They were just guys. You didn't hardly see them. They were out in the middle of nowhere. They had a simple job, a tough job, a labor-intensive job, a lot of walking, <laughs> a lot of walking, and a lot of fighting, and a lot of boring times with a lot of super exciting times as soon as the wolves would come. But for the most part, it was a thankless job, and you just go out. But everybody, nobody hated them, but they're just kind of, they're just there. They blended in. And yet what God saw fit to make his announcement in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, that's where he went. To the shepherds that were going to be Jesus' colleagues. Likened, he's going to use them in, in many, many different stories. And so he likens it to that. He shows up, he says, and suddenly there was a, the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That was the big announcement, the red carpet for the Messiah that everybody's been waiting thousands of years for. It was to 12, 15 shepherds out in the fields. I don't know how many there were. It wasn't hundreds. You can't have that many flocks next to each other, but there they are. That's not how you endorse something. That's not how you get a product out there. You find celebrities and you let them know. You do open, you know, the, the, the premiere showing of a new movie. It ain't Shepard showing up for that or anybody else in now day and age that would be of that caliber. It's, it's the who's who because you want to get everybody else on board. God does things differently. The forgiveness was for everybody. He's going to be a shepherd. One of the lowly positions, he's going to shepherd his people Israel. He's going to announce it to a group of people that most people don't even give a second thought to. The next one that I noticed was he chooses the impossible. Mary, we know, right? She's a virgin. Wow. You know, he uses the impossible to bring about his son. Not the probable, not the most likely, not a good, healthy 22-year-old girl who's married um, who's got a stable home and has saved up and, you know, their, their, their 401k is in order. And now they're able to afford children, you know, which is how our world thinks. That's the world's way of thinking. That's how we think. And I challenge us on all these things because my mind can go to these places. Maybe forgiveness isn't for that person or that person, or I don't consider ministering to them that important or as important as that person. Or maybe that's not the best way to do it. The most practical way to do it is this way. And what I forget is that's my old mind and that's my old heart that's been raised up by the world and the flesh and the devil trying to get into God's business. And he's completely different. He thinks differently. And so the scripture for Mary is, and Mary said, this is her response. This is not how we think of Mary. This is how Mary thinks of Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. 
For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. It's amazing that she got chosen. You know, you could have picked from the tribe of Judah and picked a bunch of different people that wouldn't have Rahab and wouldn't have these other folks in that lineage, but no, he picked her. And he picked someone that wouldn't necessarily have a baby, shouldn't have a baby, isn't even married yet, just betrothed at this point. But there's another woman in that story, another miraculous birth, that's Elizabeth. From one end of the spectrum to the other, we go from a virgin who's never had to an 80-year-old woman. She's an octarian, or octan, what do you call those people? <laughs> Geriatric. And so he chooses the young girl who has no business being in ministry to have the most important job of ministry by giving birth to Messiah and raising him. And Joseph, he always gets the asterisk, doesn't he? To a geriatric woman who has no business having children at her age. No business. Should have stopped praying for that years ago. She's 80, you know. And so God says, no, 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 let's... Let's shake things up. I'm going to use both spectrums here. Not the people that you would have chosen, but the people I have chosen. And it lets me know that God wants to use me and you and anybody else. Nobody is outside of God's usefulness. He wants to use us. So when it comes to ministry, he chooses the, the opposite of who we would choose. The world, the flesh, and the devil mind. God's way is not our way. It's uncomfortable. I was thinking, um, we just had a new grandbaby born, um, um, the 21st. And, and yes, big girl, I know. Uh, <laughs> nine pounds, eight ounces. Um, she cooked a week too long, probably. Um, no, it was fine. She's great. Beautiful. Little rubber band wrists and everything. And it was interesting to watch them go through this. I've got some hilarious pictures of Seth waiting, because they were waiting. She's four days overdue. Um, as far as they were concerned. And at one point, he's over the back of a cushiony chair with his head into the cushion with his arms up and his legs up. He's just waiting, you know, in, in Seth's form and style, you know. And, and the way they talk about her being born and their plans and the bags are packed in the room. They, they just laid in the room sometimes and just looked at everything, waiting for her to show up. They just couldn't wait for her to come. It was sweet. But the plans that were laid and all the clothes were there. I mean, this is the best dressed baby I've ever seen in my life. Cutest little outfits already. Already had her first photo shoot. I mean, this chick is, she's going to go to the top. But their plans and, their, and, and it all worked out perfectly. Four hours is all at the birthing center. I, I know. She labored at home until she was four minutes long and apart, and then they went in. She was there for four hours, and they sent her home. Stitched her up and out the door kind of thing. Whoa. And now for Jenny and I, we're like, oh, well, we had a day and a half. And my mom and dad said, we had four days back then. You know, I'm like, well, pretty soon we're going to have an app. Just have baby, you know, just push it, and I guess just there it comes. With all that being said, and all the things that go into what mothers go through and dads go through to some extent, but mainly mothers, nesting, preparing, getting things set, everything in order, bag is packed. Think about Mary. 
we've got to go to Bethlehem to go register? That's like a woman's worst nightmare when she's eight and a half months along, nine months along. We're going to travel on a horse, donkey, but you know, oh, this is going to be comfortable all the way to Bethlehem. And when you get there, here's what you hear. So it was said that while they were there, the days were completed for her to deliver, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, in a barn, because there was no room for them in the inn. She didn't even get to go to a hotel. Not only is she by herself, and Joseph, asterisk, there's no midwives, there's no relatives, She's never had a baby before. She's way too young normally than would have a baby at this point without help. She's on a travel, she's traveling, she's on a trip. There's no room for the hotel in for her. So she goes to a barn. Talk about best laid plans. Gone awry. And she had to deal with all that and give birth which is hard enough in the best of circumstances, but these were the worst of circumstances. She had to completely trust in God, first of all, and remember all the things that he told her about her son. But he took away all the comforts that this world would have had to offer that the world, the flesh, and the devil have taught us are necessary. But he gave her a new mind and a new heart. She was able to do it with Joseph probably in a panic. What in the world? Guys didn't do that back then. I got to cut the cord on every one of my kids. It was a blessing. I was in there the whole time and watched everything and coached the best I could. It's all her, but you do your best to try to give her comforting eyes anyway and, you know, soft, smooth speech, but it ain't fun. But to do the labor, to give this child, you know, to be the, the catcher, you know, the receiver, he didn't do that. I mean, guys didn't do that. And that's what Mary had to look forward to was my husband who has never done this before, not surrounded by the beautiful women who have done this before in my life that I was hoping would be around me, comforting me, saying, yes, I've been through this. Yes, you can do this. I've been there. You can handle, you know, none of that. God's way was not their way or our way. He did it differently. Second thing along the lines of Mary is he gave her perfect peace. After Jesus was born, all the shepherds came rushing in because they heard the good news. Think about your hospital stay, you know. You don't want anybody in there. You want time with baby. You want to have some time. Yeah, the relatives can come in, but they need to go. It's time for the baby and mommy to get some rest and dad to get some rest or whatever. And it's, they're in a barn and here come all the shepherds showing up. All the dirty shepherds, they don't shower, you know. And there they are, and they're like, yeah, and then we're going to go out and tell everybody about it now. And they were screaming and yelling that the Messiah was born. That goes against every instinct that a woman has. Shh. It's our time. It's private time. It's my, that's not a good idea. Hold on. She doesn't say anything. This is what she says. After all of this, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, the word ponder means just what it means. She had to think this stuff through. This goes against everything that I had planned. This isn't what I thought. You're, you're, who are these guys? Excuse me, you know, we're nursing here. I mean, just who are these people? And then all of a sudden, they're going to go out and tell the whole village and everybody else they can tell that this, the Messiah is born. I don't know that it's a... 
She's just pondering all this stuff in her heart. She takes the time to get that peace from God. This is unusual. This isn't what I expected. This is nothing's going right. But what she pondered was the circumstances, okay? That's what they are. Nothing you can do about it. She remembered what God said to her. All the beautiful promises that he gave her and what this child was going to do. And she had to trust in him in that. And so the ministry that took place there, for us to watch Mary go through this horrible, difficult time with perfect peace because she pondered these things in her heart. She let God minister to her instead of reacting to it, you know? Getting mad. Get out of here. Joseph, don't let anybody else in. Stop them. Don't tell them any. Nobody needs to know about this, you know? I want to make the announcement later. Let's just wait. Completely different than what we would do. And then finally, I was thinking about God's guidance. This is later on. Jesus is, he's a toddler at this point, about two years old, three years old. And he's not in Bethlehem anymore. He's in his house um, where they were raising him and things were going along fine. And the wise men come along. Now the wise men had been following that star for a very, very long time, which is weird in and of itself. You don't just get up and, but these were kings. I mean, these were high ups in the chain. A huge entourage. I mean, this has been a huge caravan coming and following the star. But for some reason, they get all the way from the east. I mean, think about this. They traveled, how, who knows how far? I mean, a month probably, at least. And then this star disappears. Did you know that? The star goes away. And so they, they're lost. They can't figure out what to do. So they go to Jerusalem and they go to King Herod because he's the king of the area. Certainly he knows where the newborn king is going to live. And what a contrast between this King Herod and these three wise men. That these three wise men were forced because the star is gone to go to this pompous, arrogant, prideful, evil king and tell them that they've been traveling months to come visit this newborn king. Can you tell us where he is? You remember his response? I don't know where he is, but when you find him, come back and tell me and I want to come worship him too. Could you be more lazy? These guys have been traveling a month on camelback, following a star, not knowing where they were headed, just knowing that God had something for them. And he is literally a mile and a half to four miles, five miles away. I think Bethlehem's like five or six miles. How far away is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Well, that's pretty far, isn't it? But he wouldn't even go out his door. Hey, let me know if you find him. We really want to worship him too. What a lazy, interesting because after they leave, here's what it says, Matthew 2, verse 9. Then when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, shows up again. Interesting. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. So he's older now. Not Bethlehem, but anyway. Not very far. What an interesting... God's guidance. I want to make sure that you guys let, let my enemy know that there's a new king on board, that there's a new king being born. God is stepping into the situation of Israel and you're being removed and it's going to come. The news is going to come by way of these foreigners. They're going to tell you about that. Now, 
For me, the result of these guys going to King Herod um, is a poor decision as far as I'm concerned. It's not what I would have done. You don't send these guys to go tell an evil, wicked, arrogant, pompous king who's violent that there's a new king in town because he's going to react to it. And he did. He killed all those babies. And it makes you wonder, what was God thinking? Why didn't he just leave the star up there? Why didn't the star just stay? Why, why didn't they just bypass that king? Why couldn't they go straight to wherever he was? Why did, they, why did he do that? Because his ways are not our ways. God's ministering and working in so many different ways. Just in this birth, Jesus hasn't even done anything yet. And so far he's ministered to almost every person, every spectrum. He's got the humble guys that are foreigners that have no business worshiping a Jewish king. He's got the Jewish king wondering what in the world is going on. I thought I was always going to be king. Who's God? He doesn't even know God. You've got a young woman and an old woman. You've got shepherds. All these people getting ministered to, even before he was born, lets us know his spectrum, who he's thinking of, that he's for all of us. Jesus is for every single one of them. I, lo I love that song we just sang, um, that he breaks chains for the slave is our brother. And you think about that. Every single human being, maybe you know this, we're all cousins. I mean, literally blood cousins. We've all come from Noah. Everybody on this earth comes from Noah. It's all broken down from that. That's where the genealogy started. I mean, it was obviously Adam and Eve, but then we had the flood, and then it's just Noah and his, and his crew. We all come from him. Everybody in the Middle East is your cousin. Everybody in China is your cousin. Everybody in Mexico is your cousin. Everybody in South America, everybody in Greenland, people live there, is your cousin. And if you saw a relative being abused or hurt in any way, or they're lost and they don't know Jesus, and you do, you administer to them. God wants us to have that heart and that mind to think that way. They're not strangers. They're not foreigners. They're literally our relatives. And he wants us to minister to them. So it's Christmas. Um, I want God to give me the right heart and the right mind. And I don't want those two to get mixed up during this season or ever. And I pray that God would minister to me during this time to show me and to remind me of my ideas versus his ideas. The people he wants to minister to, the people I want to minister to. Where his eye is, not where my eye is. Where his heart is going, not where my heart tends to go. Where his mind is, and not where my mind goes. I want to get synced up with him. I want to do what he wants me to do. And so as I was studying this, this is what came out. And it was for me. I know that. But now it's for you. To get our hearts and minds right in areas that maybe they weren't before this morning. Thinking differently about the birth. And how truly this is a child who is the savior of the world. Every single person, salvation is for them. And he's ministering to every single person out there. And every single person needs this Jesus. Not their own religion, not their own version of a Savior. They need this Christ, this Jesus. And we have him. And we need to give him out. And that's where we close today. We have communion this morning. We decided to wait to have communion until um, this Sunday because obviously Christmas is coming up.
And so we want to take this time and reflect on the salvation that we have in him. Most of us are, hopefully all of us are saved. But if you're not this morning, and you didn't know that Jesus was the Savior for everybody, including you this morning, and maybe you thought your sins were too much for him, or you were different, or you weren't chosen, or whatever you were fed, whatever somebody told you throughout your life, please, hopefully God's word touched your heart this morning to know that Jesus is your Savior too, as well as he is the best person on earth or the most sinless person on earth. He's for the most sinful person as well. And so as we hand out this cup and this little piece of bread, please be reminded of that. Thank you, Mick. That this broken body and this shed blood is for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loves every single person in this world and desperately wants them to know him. On, uh, on Monday night, when we have our Christmas Eve service, the focus is going to be on the star. Jesus, of course, but the star. Um, and how we're to give light also. Keep that in mind. If you're not able to make it to the Christmas Eve service, keep that in mind of who you are. What Christ has for you here on this earth. Why he has you here on this earth. We are all now he said to us, we have the light of the world. He's in us. And we're all supposed to be that star. That star that leads and guides people to right where Jesus is. That's our mission. That's our most important job. It isn't to give any other light or any other purpose, but to point people to Jesus. Everybody. Whoever would follow. Ironically, only these three kings from the West came and followed that star. But everybody in the world could have. And as those people, we want to be reminded, as saved people, as people who trust in Jesus for our salvation, we want to be that, especially at Christmas time. So maybe you're the only one at Christmas who's going to be talking about Jesus at your family meal. Some of you have that, I know. And the temptation is to just flip on the football game and kind of go with the flow and not raise any eyebrows or ruffle any feathers. That's your job. That's what we're called to. We're bright, we're in the sky, we're unignorable, we're bold. They can follow or they don't have to, but our job is simple. We just shine brightly and we lead people to Jesus. So take the time this year to lead the, the ladies that help you at Walmart and the men that help you at Walmart to Jesus. Let them know. Anybody you interact with, lead them to Christ or at least be like Christ to them, you know. Lord, we thank you for this bread. We know that it represents your broken body for us on the cross. That you did come as a baby. You grew up. You ministered, even from birth. But you also died on the cross for our sins. You, you fulfilled your mission to show us what your father was like on heaven. You were the expressed image of your father. But then also to die and to, to be our sacrifice. You were the lamb that takes away all of our sin not just covers it, but takes it away. And we remember that today. We remember that that's why we're celebrating. It's one year closer to your second coming. We're one year closer, one more Christmas closer to when you're going to return and take us home to be with you. And we're excited for that, Lord. Thank you for the reminder of this Christmas time every single year. Our calling, you remind us of what our calling is, but you also remind us 
of where our destination is and what our hope is. And that is your kingdom and to live with you forever. We can't wait for that. And so we do this in remembrance of you. We eat this bread and we drink this cup of your new covenant, the blood shed for you, Lord, or by you for us to remind ourselves that you're coming and we're going to be with you and we can't wait for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together this morning as we prepare our hearts to uh, minister this Christmas season, but also to completely celebrate you, to celebrate your birth, to celebrate what you came for, why you came. And uh, we thank you for this new gift that you've given us of celebrating you on this specific day. We don't know when you were really born, but this is as good a day as any. We're thankful for that, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to celebrate in our hearts and to celebrate out loud and, and to do it big, to make a big deal out of it. Everybody tries to make it more subtle, to tone it down, to make it more simple, and that's fine. We never want to lose sight of whose birthday it is, but you meant for us to celebrate. And so God, I pray that we do it extravagantly, Lord, big and bright and bold, not with stuff necessarily, but just big, bright, bold, happy, joy song, reading of your word, but big, Lord. We thank you for your example you gave us. When you were born, it wasn't subtle. It was a host of angels crying out and letting everybody know the good news. Lord, I pray that we're that celebratory. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Another season to minister to those who want to make it out of, make Christmas into something other than what it, what it is, Lord. So fill us with your spirit as we go. Thank you for refreshing our hearts this morning by showing us all the ways you minister and who you minister to. Help us as refreshed people of God to be your hands and feet, your mouth, to minister to those people around us this season. We love you. Bless these guys as they go. If they're traveling, help them to get to their destinations there and back. That their time of celebrating with you would be beautiful and wonderful. They'd be overjoyed. And the people around them will be blessed and touched by your kindness and your love flowing through us. That's our heart. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.